We'll grab a Bible, open to Acts chapter 2. We're studying the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And what we're trying to figure out as we look at this is, uh, what kind of church does God want? The church, in general, is something that God created. It's His invention. Um, he's got certain ideas for what church is supposed to be like. Um, and we want to say, well, okay, God, whatever you want us to be like as a church, we want to be like that. We want to follow your prescription for what the church is supposed to be. So we're trying to figure that out. And we've gotten through chapter 1 so far and seen two big lessons as we've looked at that. The first one, we've seen that God wants His church to be on mission. He wants His church to be on mission. Um, so we saw it's not just that the church has a mission in the world, but that God's mission has a church in the world. As God has a mission, that's what comes first. His goal is to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. And so here in Acts, we see him creating the church as a means to accomplish that mission. So if we're going to do anything, we've got to be all about the mission of God. And then we also saw that God wants a church that prays. The first thing that the church does after they've been given this mission is they have a prayer meeting. They keep having prayer meetings. They just pray and pray and pray. They pray together. They pray all the time. They pray first. So that's what chapter 1 is. It's Jesus giving this mission to the church and then saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. So while they're waiting, they're praying. And then we get to chapter 2, and things get weird. Okay, so things get weird in chapter 2. Um, and we're so used to, sometimes I think we forget as Christians how weird some of the stuff is that we believe, right? Like we're used to it, we just talk about it all the time, but, but it's weird, right? And chapter 2 is one of those weird chapters. It talks about some weird stuff. The Holy Spirit finally shows up. Jesus said the Spirit's going to show up, and the Spirit shows up. And some supernatural, weird, unusual, shocking stuff happens. Uh, it's stuff that we're very comfortable reading, but if the things that we're going to read today were to happen right here, right now, probably half of you would not come back next week. Okay? It's weird. It's shocking. It's supernatural. So what happens? Well, what happens in chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit shows up in power, just like Jesus promised. And when the Spirit shows up, He gives His people an unmistakable supernatural experience. And though the details may vary as we get to present day, God still wants the same thing for His church. He wants to give His church the Holy Spirit in power that we might experience these supernatural realities. God wants to give us the Spirit in power. So let's look at this verse, uh, these verses together in chapter 2. The disciples are waiting, they're praying, and then the Holy Spirit shows up and they have this incredible supernatural experience. We're not going to cover the whole chapter today, just half of chapter 2. So this is chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Listen to what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, 
Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's kind of a weird place to stop. It's in the middle of the sermon, but that's where we're going to stop today because I want you just to see, we're going to focus in this morning on the first half of this chapter as, as we see the supernatural experience of the Spirit. Okay, so, so what happened? This is our first question today. What happened? Do we understand in, in, the first, uh, in the first Pentecost, in this moment, what happened? And here's how I want to summarize it. The early church had a supernatural experience when the Holy Spirit showed up in power. That's what happened. The early church had a supernatural experience when the Holy Spirit showed up in power. So the key thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit shows up. This has been building up the whole first chapter, the whole book so far has been building up to this moment. In chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus predicted it. He said uh, in Acts 1, 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So he promised that the Spirit was coming. He told them to wait. And since that moment, they've been waiting and praying until finally now in chapter 2, he arrives. Now, how do we know that the Holy Spirit arrives in chapter 2? The Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God. Um, And as God, he is spirit. Okay, So the Holy Spirit does not have a physical body like Jesus does. So if Jesus arrives, you know. He walks in the room and says, there's Jesus. I see him. I can touch him. He's here. How do you know the Holy Spirit showed up? Well, there's some supernatural signs that we see here in chapter 2 that let us know that the Spirit arrived. These supernatural experiences, things beyond the ordinary, everyday experience that makes it obvious that God is there in power. So first, there's they hear a sound, right? Uh, Verse 2, it says, There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. These folks are sitting together, they're all inside, but it's not like they're out in a park and all of a sudden a big breeze blows by and someone says, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. 
They know that was just a breeze, but, but they're in a house, they're in a room, and they hear a sound like a breeze, like there's a wind, a tornado in the room. What is this? It's, it's a supernatural experience. They hear the sound of wind. And it doesn't actually say that there was a wind, it just says they hear the sound of wind. And, and the wind is a well-known symbol of the Spirit. In fact, the word for wind and the word for spirit in Greek are the same word. Jesus plays on that in John chapter 3 when he talks to Nicodemus about being born again. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. So in John 3, 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So they know, okay, that the, we've got this loud rushing wind. This is evidence that the Spirit is here, hearing the sound of this giant tornado in this room. But that's not the only supernatural sign. They also see something. In verse 3, it says, Their uh, divided tongues as of fire appeared and, and rested on each one of them. So you've got these little flames of fire. They're, they're seeing this. They're seeing the fire coming down in the room, like, not fire that's consuming things, but just it looks like fire, and it's sitting on everybody's head. And you're looking around, you're like, you've got a flame on your head, and you've got a flame on your head. Right? You're looking around, you see these flames on people's head. No, he's getting burned, but it's just this flame. You go, what is this? Well, it's a symbol, it's a sign that the Spirit is there. It's a supernatural vision of the Holy Spirit. Flame, too, is a, is a symbol of the presence of God. Think back to Moses with the burning bush. There's a bush that's burning up, it's fire, but it's not consumed. The presence of God right there. And so they see this, this vision. Um, and that's not normal, right? It's not normal to, to look at somebody and say, I see a flame of fire on your head. It's weird. That's kind of my point. This is a weird thing. Like if that happened today and then you went to work tomorrow and someone said, what did you do this weekend? And you said, well, on Sunday when we were in church, little tongues of fire were sitting on everybody's head in the worship service. They would say, you're crazy right? Because that doesn't happen. And you say, oh, but it's supernatural. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. It's weird. Uh, the tongues of fire. On, so they're saying this is evidence that God is here. Uh, but there's another one. There's another sign of the Spirit's presence, and it's the third one. They experience the gift of speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages. Um, now, like, anytime you mention that, you can have a whole series of sermons about that. So there's, I'm sure there's clarifying questions, things we need to talk about. about that. But just, just notice what the text says. Verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it talks about these other Jews that are from all over the place. In verse 6, it says, uh, They were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. So again, this is something very supernatural. You've got this group of Galileans, that's what they say in verse 7, aren't these all Galileans? Just ordinary, uneducated people from this backwoods area of our country? Uh, how are these people speaking such that folks from every corner of the empire can understand what they're saying in their own language? This is a miracle. There's a couple different ways that people understand this. It could be um, either one of these or maybe a combination that's all miraculous, but, but some people see this as a miracle of speaking, that is, the miracle of the disciples who don't know these other languages are speaking these other languages, and folks are hearing it, right? So it'd be like me all of a sudden speaking Swahili. I don't know Swahili, but all of a sudden I got this gift and I just speak it, and you understand it because you know Swahili. Okay, so that'd be the miracle on my side. I don't know it, but I'm speaking it. could also be that the miracle is the miracle of hearing, 
right? That they're just, they're speaking something. They don't even know what they're speaking. And the people who are hearing it are hearing it in Swahili. Like, like if you speak Swahili, you're hearing Swahili. If you speak German, you're hearing German, right? So the miracle is more on your side. Or maybe it's a mixture of both. But the whole point is it's a miracle. Either way, this is not a normal experience of, of, of study and, and then translation and really understanding. This is like babble in reverse, where God just all of a sudden says, you get to understand. It's a miracle. And it's the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus when he says, the, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon, me, upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's what's happening. The Spirit shows up with this incredible supernatural experience things that they hear, things that they see, things that they are able to do. And so the answer to the first question is, what happened is that the Spirit showed up. Now something that often happens when we begin to read Acts, I mean, when you read Acts chapter 1, everything's cool, right? You get to Acts chapter 2 and you keep reading through the book and you see this is not the only time that crazy stuff happens. There are miracles. There are more people speaking in tongues. There are healings. There are um, just incredible acts of the Spirit's power, supernatural things, visions and dreams and prophecies and all sorts of stuff that is not a part of our everyday experience. And so you read through Acts and you say, okay, I can see what happened, but my real question is, why doesn't that happen today? I see these things happening. It's not hard to understand what's going on in Acts, but, but where are these things today? Where are these things in my life? I see that they had supernatural natural experiences. Where are my supernatural experiences? So I'm going to give three answers to this question. Why doesn't this happen today? And I'm calling them the wrong answer, the short answer, and the long answer. Okay. So we start with the wrong answer. We've all got this question, why doesn't this happen today? The wrong answer would be to say that this is a totally unique event, that this is just a one-off occurrence. It doesn't happen today because it only ever happened once and will never, ever happen again. Now, the way that this argument goes, it says, well, look, Acts chapter 2 is a unique event. This is the birth of the church. This is the first time the Spirit is poured out, so we should expect unique, unrepeatable things to happen because the church is only born once, you can't expect stuff like this to happen all the time. It's a one-time event, so God gave special signs, special experiences, just when the church was born. Okay. Now, it's true, the church was only born once. This is the moment when the church is born. But that doesn't mean that this is the only time that the Holy Spirit shows up with supernatural power. To the contrary, when you read through the New Testament, you find it all over the place. For example, you keep reading in Acts, and you get to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a very ordinary chapter, something that happens all the time. Christians are being persecuted. Okay, that still happens today. Nobody says, hey, where does that happen today? No, it happens all the time. Christians are being persecuted. So they gather together, they have a prayer meeting, and here's what happens at the end of the prayer meeting. They pray, Acts 4.29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
so the details are different. This is a different situation. This isn't the birth of the church. This is uh, a little while after that, and they're gathered together. They're having a prayer meeting, and they're asking for normal stuff that people should still be asking for. God, give us the ability to speak the word with boldness and persecution and keep showing your power through us as we do it. And God responds with a supernatural experience. The building therein is shaken. Right? Shaken. So they have like this little localized earthquake. Holy Spirit quake. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So this isn't, this isn't just something that happens with the birth of the church, like, oh, they're filled with the Spirit. No, these are people who are Christians who've already received the Spirit, but in a fresh way, God comes and responds to their prayers and says, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit even more. I'm going to give you more of my presence, more of my power. And you read through Acts, you see this sort of stuff happening all the time. There's, there's supernatural experience after supernatural experience, again and again. Not just once at the birth of the church, but all along. And when you read the New Testament and the letters, it's just assumed that the Spirit is real and active in the lives of the people, that they're experiencing His power day to day. So I think it's wrong to just say that this is a one-time experience. We should never expect the Holy Spirit to show up in power. He does it all the time in the New Testament. So it still raises the question for me, well, why wouldn't it happen today? So the short answer, that was the wrong answer. What's the short answer? The question is, why don't these things happen today? Why doesn't it happen today? The short answer is, it does. It does. Just because these sorts of supernatural experiences might not be happening to you doesn't mean they're not happening to other people. For example, um, take, take the, the experience of speaking in tongues. You might say, well, I see it happening in Acts 2, but that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, it's never happened to me, and I'll tell you, it's never happened to me. Okay, I'm not just speaking rhetorically here. This is, my, this is my testimony. Never happened to me. To my knowledge, never happened in this church. But I'm telling you, within a 20-mile radius of this church, you could find hundreds of people who claim to have experienced this gift. It's not far. I can name a couple of different churches that practice this regularly in the Peoria area. I've got two personal friends who are godly, mature people who I could introduce you to, and they could talk to you about their experiences of this particular gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's one thing to say, well, it's never happened to me, it's never happened here. It's a big leap to say, therefore, it never happens, and it never happens to anyone. And that's just around us. I mean, if you look at the worldwide church, millions and millions of Christians, especially across South Africa, or South, South America and Africa, millions of Christians experience that gift with regularity. Okay? So they're out there. They're out there. It's happening. The same is true of miracles, things like casting out demons, miraculous healings, prophecies, dreams. All of these supernatural experiences of the Holy Spirit coming in power are happening around the world. So it's one thing to say, I've never seen it happen. It's another thing to say, therefore, it doesn't happen. To the contrary, you do a little research, you can find there are credible stories from all over the world, from trustworthy witnesses, who will talk about times when the Holy Spirit has shown up in, up in power, just like, shocking, shockingly like, the stories in Acts. 
Okay, now if you're sitting there, you're thinking, whoa, Dan lost it. He's joined the lunatic fringe. Um, let me just tell you, like, this is, uh, this is even the same thing that someone as respectable um, and mainstream as John Piper has said. Okay, so John Piper, very conservative uh, Bible scholar, preacher. Uh, he was asked the question recently, why don't we see miracles today like we see in the Bible? Here's part of his answer. Quote, if we could collect all the authentic stories all over the world, from all the missionaries and all the saints and all the countries of the world, all the cultures of the world, if we could collect all the millions of encounters between Christians and demons and Christians and sickness and all the so-called coincidences of the world, we would be stunned. We would think we're living in a world of miracles, which we are. I think he's right. This sort of stuff is happening around the world. You begin to listen to missionaries who tell you, I'm not talking about turning on TBN and seeing those big revivals, quote-unquote, with, with the charlatans doing their stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real, godly, mature people, boots on the ground, engaging this frontier work in places where demons are active and where um, animism and worship of demons is a real thing. And, you know, they'll tell you real stories of, hey, the Holy Spirit showed up in power and it looked a lot like the book of Acts. These sorts of things are happening all over the place. It might not be happening to you, but it is happening. So that's the short answer. You say, well, why are these things happening? They are. They are. The Holy Spirit is still active. He's still demonstrating power in supernatural experiences all over the world. And if that's true, <clears throat> then we have to ask again, okay, but then why isn't it happening here? Why isn't it happening to me? If others are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, what do we need to change? What can we do differently that we might have these experiences too? That brings me to the long answer. And the long answer has three parts. Why doesn't this happen today? Why doesn't it happen here? Why doesn't it happen to us? Okay, first part of the long answer is that we don't want it. Okay, it's not happening to us because we don't want it. I think a lot of this can be explained through the simple case of you have not because you ask not. You might say, well, who wouldn't want this? Who, who wouldn't want this? You know, I mean, don't you read the Acts? You think, oh, man, it would be so cool if this is what life was like. It would be so cool. Who wouldn't want to have a supernatural encounter with the Spirit like in the day of Pentecost? And I think all of us would say, oh, yeah, I would love to have been in that room. That would have been cool to be there in that time. But it's another thing to say, I want what happened there to be in this room, right here, right now. That's freakier. Somebody once said, the last person we really expected to show up for church on Sunday was God. He's the last, like, whoa. We didn't think he'd show up. That's what happens in Act 2. God shows up. He really shows up. And it is weird. It's supernatural. I mean, we like to sing about God. We like to pray to God. We like to talk about him. We study his book. But what if he really showed up like he did in Acts 2 or in Acts 4 or in other places in the New Testament? It would mess things up. I mean, it's really, really convenient to have a printed bulletin that says, first we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to do that, and we're going to do that, and then, you know, and then you look at your watch and think, well, okay, and we're about done here, right? Because i got things to do. And, I, and I'm telling you, just speaking for me, i got things I want to say. i got things I want us to accomplish. 
But what if, what if, what if something undeniably supernatural happened right now? Do you want that? Like, what if, what if a, a rushing wind just filled this room? Or you looked to your neighbor and you saw flames of fire on their head? Like, what if, what if I stopped talking and someone stood up and spoke in a language that you don't understand? And then another person stood up and they interpreted what they said as a word from the Lord. And we looked in Scripture and we said, that, make, that, that lines up with what God's Word says. And we all just said, I, I think that was the Spirit. What, what if somebody stood up and said, I had this dream last night that I just cannot shake, and I feel like God is compelling me to share this with the congregation, to share the dream, and that, again, we test the Scripture, and it says, this, this, sounds, this sounds like in line with God's Word, and, and we receive that as a, as a message from God. Like, does that make you uncomfortable? Okay, we got to get alert how to do that, but, but, but I mean, do, you, do you want it? I guess that's my point. It's like, that's weird. It's different. It's not as... Uh, it's not as safe, it's not as domesticated, it's not as scripted as what we're used to. And so to say, oh, yeah, we want God to show up, do you? Because <laughs> like, he kind of messes things up when he shows up. But the early church wanted it, they wanted it. They were, Jesus said, wait for the Spirit, wait for his power. So they gathered together, they prayed, they prayed, they waited, and then he showed up. And then they weren't content with just having that experience in Acts chapter 2. Every time they got together, they're praying. They're saying, well, okay, now we're, we, he showed up. We started to be witnesses. Things got hard. They're persecuting us. What do we need? We need more of God. We, let's have another prayer meeting. Let's just pray and pray until he shows up again. And they received power from the Spirit. And they went out and they, they, they shared the gospel with more people. And then they, they, they experienced more persecution or they had new opportunities. They said, we don't know what to do here. What should we do? Well, let's just pray some more and let's ask God to show up. They wanted it. They wanted it. Now, what would that look like for us to want this, to say, I, I, I do. I do want more of this. Just a little example of how, I'm, I'm just stumbling along here. I'm in, in the dark. I'm trying to figure this out, guys. But, but one of the ways I'm trying to pursue this, I ran across 1 Corinthians 14.1 about three years ago. 1 Corinthians 14.1 is a command that no one had ever taught me before. The command in 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. First part's really easy, right? Pursue love. Amen. Desire the spiritual gifts, that's vague enough. I'll get behind that. Especially that you may prophesy. I said, Okay. I've never experienced prophecy. I don't know what the value of it is, but I've tried to obey the Bible, so this is a command. So I added it to my prayer list three years ago. Every week I've been praying, God, I want to pursue love. I desire the spiritual gifts, and would you please give me the gift of prophecy, whatever that is. I want to be obedient. So it was three years of praying for that. About six weeks ago, I was with a group, and we were praying. And a couple of people prayed over me. And these people had the gift of prophecy. I'd never experienced it before. They had the gift of prophecy. And they prophesied over me. And it was an incredible 
Holy Spirit moment, a life-changing experience. It was love. There was love there. It was the expression of the gifts of the Spirit. It was, it was amazing. Now, I haven't prophesied yet. I'm still praying for that. But I guarantee that I would not have even had the experience that I had if God hadn't been working on me for three years to pray that I would be able to experience that gift. I would have gotten up and walked out of the room going, this is weird, I don't know what's going on here, I'm not ready for this, I don't see this in the Bible. Oh no, it's there, I just wasn't paying attention. And so I'm still praying, I I want it. I want that gift because I see the command, I see that God gives us that command, I want to pursue that. But I just think for us as American, evangelical, non-charismatics, part of our problem, we don't experience the Spirit because we don't want it. We don't have these, these moments of, of supernatural transcendence because we don't even ask for them. And I think we need to repent of that. We need to ask. So it's part of the problem. We have not because we ask not. I think another part is that we explain it away when it does happen. So this is part two of the long answer. Why don't we have these things? Because we explain them away when they actually happen. You say, oh, I never see the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. And then something happens, you go, well, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That's what the crowds tried to do. You saw that, right? In Acts chapter 2, verse 12. These guys are, 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 are they're speaking in tongues, there's miracles happening, and there's some folks there going, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. Clearly, that's what it has to be. Because I must give a naturalistic explanation for everything that happens. Just drunk. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The disciples just stole the body. These guys aren't experiencing the Holy Spirit. They're just drunk. And that's a common response to the supernatural work of the Spirit. That when He does something, our hearts begin to create these excuses and say, well, that wasn't really Him. That wasn't really Him. Here's, here's why this is, can be explained away. And be honest, you've been doing it all sermon, haven't you? When I talked about people around the world speaking in tongues... You said, no, they're just, they're not really. They're just faking it. They're just deluded. They're just learning how to speak in gibberish. That's not really the Holy Spirit. I know you did that. You just sat there in your pew and you dismissed the experiences of millions of people around the world. Or when I talked about someone prophesying over me, you said, that's not real prophecy. That's just what fortune cookies or horoscopes or mentalists do. They tell you things that you want to hear. They play off of human nature. You don't need the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about these stories from missionaries around the world of of exorcisms and and, uh, miracles. He said, well, it's just, those are just primitive cultures that don't understand science. That's not the Spirit. That exorcism was probably just an epileptic seizure. That person wasn't really raised from the dead. They must have just been in a coma. That person who got healed would have gotten better anyway. It's easy to do, especially for us in a culture obsessed with science and technology. We're so obsessed with the physical realm that even Christians, hello, even Christians, we we believe that all of this, we're we're doing all this because a man rose from the dead, right? We're all on board. If you're not on board with that, I mean, you're welcome here, but just you should probably leave, right? Because that's not, that's Christianity. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. So we be, that's our foundational thing. A man rose from the dead. And even we are so prone to explain away the supernatural 
we have imbibed so deeply in our culture of naturalism and science and technology. And so when God does show up, when you have a real experience of the Spirit, within milliseconds, your rationalization kicks in and you start to explain it away. So we need to stop that. We need to repent of that. We need to open our eyes to see what the Spirit does and accept it as His work. All right, the final one. Why don't we see these things happen today? The final answer is that because we don't think God works this way anymore. We don't think God works this way anymore. Um, All these reasons are kind of circular. They build on each other. But for some people, this is the main one. This is the foundational one. And I know, I'm trying to be respectful. I know some of you here believe this. Many of my friends do too. But you believe that we don't see things like this in, like the miracles in Acts anymore because God doesn't work this way. That he only worked that way for a brief period of time until the Bible was completed. And so now all we need is the Bible. We don't need supernatural experience. We don't need the, the power of the Spirit through prophecy or speaking in tongues or miraculous works. And if that's your view, then you, you, know, you don't have these experiences because you're being consistent. It would be wrong to ask God for them because you think they aren't for today. And of course you just should explain away all the evidence around you because you know that they aren't real, so there must be fakes. But when I look at the Bible, what I see is that these things are for today. In fact, it's pretty clear just in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gives his explanation of what's happening. In Acts chapter 2, he quotes the prophet Joel and he says, In the last days it shall be that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So he quotes this Old Testament prophecy about the last days and he says it's, the spirit's going to pour out on all flesh. And that's happening right then, right? So you know, when are the last days? These are the last days. They started right here when the Spirit's poured out. He says, all this miraculous stuff's going to happen in the last days. Sons prophesied, daughters, visions, dreams, the Spirit. And then he talks about some stuff that hasn't happened yet. He says, I'll show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, sun turned to darkness, moon to blood, the day of the Lord will come. He's talking about the return of Jesus, right? So in this little prophecy, he's got these two endpoints. There's the last days beginning with the pouring out of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2. The last days ending with Jesus returning. In between, we're in the last days. So Peter's time was the last days. Our time is the last days. Unless Jesus returned. Did I miss that? No, he hasn't come back yet. So we're living in the same period, the age of the Spirit. And the description of the age of the Spirit is that these things happen, that people prophesy, they see visions, they have dreams. There's no sign in Acts chapter 2 or anywhere else I can find in the New Testament that that was meant to stop when the Bible was finished. Which means, if I'm right, that we should expect all the things that the early church experienced to happen to us as well. There's no reason to think that the Spirit has operated differently then and now, so we should expect that all of these gifts and all of these supernatural experiences are available to us. So we should ask for it. We should seek after it. We should expect it. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Jesus. It's always good to end with Jesus. He gives us a promise that if we ask, we will receive. And you're familiar with it. We talk about this all the time when we talk about prayer, that Jesus says, you know, you ask, if you ask, 
you knock, if you seek, it will be given to you. When Luke 11, Jesus gives this promise and he ties it specifically to the gift of the Spirit. So hear these words, and I hope that you can join with me in making this your prayer as well. Luke 11, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's ask. I'm going to keep praying. I want you to join with me in praying. Let's seek God and ask Him for more of the Spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please. You are a good Father. We sang about that today. It's true. It's scriptural. You're a good Father. You give us what we need, and what we need more than anything is Your Holy Spirit. So fill us. Fill us with power. We go out in the world so afraid so afraid of persecution, so afraid to talk about Jesus, so afraid of awkwardness. We need your power. Fill us with your power that we might be bold. We encounter situations that we don't know how to fix, or we have friends that are sick, and to see a miraculous healing would be a powerful testimony, waking them up from their hardened hearts and their sinfulness. Father, give us your Holy Spirit that we would be instruments of healing and and you would give us those opportunities, open doors to share the good news. Father, we don't like to admit it, but there are demons out there. And we may encounter people who are possessed by them. I don't even know what to do in that situation, but I pray that you would give us your power, your spirit, that we would be able to speak your name and that they would flee and you would liberate people from those things. Lord, this is experientially new territory. I've read about this. I've studied this in your word for so long. I want to live it. Father, give us power, victory over sin, victory over the devil. In the name of Jesus, amen.